Omicron, oh my god, space, I'm coming at you live today from Dublin, Ireland, and we are going to be speaking together a little bit about some stuff going on, I know it's hard out there, it's getting weird, this is the fifth wave, the fifth, number five, fifth wave of this damn pandemic, when will it ever end? How is everybody doing? You are listening to Honor with William McCarthy. I'm here, and I have some interesting stuff to talk to you about. Uh, firstly, we're going to talk a little bit today. We're doing a little bit of uh, Q&A from the group out there in the ether somewhere. And we are also going to be talking a little bit about my cultural findings, my musical path, and what the hell is going on out there in the world? Okay, so here I am, guys. Um, I'm here in Ireland, and I gotta say, you know, something I wanted to get into today, which is something that's been kind of blowing my mind. If if anybody remembers, a few weeks ago I was in um, my birthplace of Santa Cruz, California, and I was actually at an intersection in a little town that I lived in until I was uh, six years old called Watsonville. It's a predominantly Mexican town, a lot of uh, agriculture, um, farm workers, and uh, basically you can't go a, a mile in the place without smelling soil and manure and so on. It's a, this is a farm town, basically a Mexican farm town. And I was at this intersection and it was the most charming, beautiful thing ever. In, in, in my rearview mirror, I saw somebody galloping up on horseback. And uh, it was this Mexican dude, just full tilt boogie, rolling, going through the intersection on a horse. There's something really charming about seeing a horse in modern day life, especially in traffic. And wouldn't you know it, um, this theme continues as I'm here in Dublin. Now, I started this podcast really to talk about music, uh, what inspires lyrics, what inspires like environments that um, end up in my stories or in my songwriting. And I, I thought this was really interesting. I started noticing when I was uh, in Ireland a couple trips ago that in the city, I started noticing what could only be described as like Clydesdales. Uh, yes, like the horse, like the massive horse that you see on like Anheuser-Busch, Budweiser stuff. Um, and usually I would see like maybe a guy in a hoodie or a parka just kind of walking down the street with the, with a massive horse with a buddy, maybe two guys just walking, you know, with a horse, like on the side of the road. And again, not in a farm town, in a in a legitimate like world-class city. I started asking myself, like, who, who are these people and what is this? So, you know, every, every place I travel, I get kind of like turned on um, and switched on to kind of the environment and I try to connect dots and do a little research and it always leads back to music for me. Um, whether I'm in Spain or in Eastern Europe and I'm noticing like accordions, I always kind of 
pull over and do research because I'm a musician and that's how I teach myself. It's how I learn. So I started looking at these guys and, and instantly it popped into my head. Um, you know, there's, if anybody has ever been to Ireland, hopefully you got to travel around the countryside a little bit. And if you have traveled across the countryside or been on a ferry coming over to Ireland from, uh, from Great Britain, you've probably encountered this group of people known as Irish travelers. And it's, it, I, I, it's funny because in pop culture, I think that this group of people has been, uh, they've been, it, it, like Hollywood has sort of touched on it. I think there was a movie called Snatch. And I think Brad Pitt uh, played this guy, an Irish traveler from a caravan park, right? And uh, he's like this kind of amazing fighter. And I started connecting the dots years ago because I don't know if anybody knows this, but I used to be really into boxing when I was in high school and used to like to box when I was a teenager. And if, you, if you're a boxing fan, of course, there's YouTube. I would always watch like, you know, the greats, Rocky Marciano and Sugar Ray Leonard and Sugar Ray Robinson, guys like that. And um, inevitably, there would always pop up like these bare knuckle contests, I guess you could say. And it was largely in this dialect that I couldn't understand. It was usually like two white dudes out in the middle of like a horse pasture, bare knuckle fighting into like staggering amounts of rounds, like 25 round fights, like with no gloves. And these guys are out there and... You know, I I think it was, you know, when I would read it, it was like, kept calling them gypsies. And I'm like, what what gypsies, you know, are they talking about? And actually, that's an incorrect, uh, that's an incorrect term to call these people. Basically, um, they're known as Irish travelers. And this is like, actually a pretty ancient uh, culture. And it, it's, it's an indigenous ethnic minority. And... As recently as like 2017, the Irish government came out and said that they're formally now recognized as a distinct ethnic group, giving them protections from discriminations. These people actually speak um, their own dialect of, of Ir the Irish language, right? And I think by law here in Ireland, everywhere you go on every sign, there's always uh, the English word and then there's the Irish uh word underneath it. And it's beautiful to see that because I think sometimes in the English language, we kind of forget our origins, right? And this happens both musically and just in speech. So perhaps if you are in the South in America and you're listening to country music, um, there are roots in bluegrass and the roots of bluegrass come from um, often from, from Celtic music, right? From abroad where I am right now. And so the, the footsteps of the, this culture of Irish culture and British culture ended up in folk songs in the new world and, you know, spawned a whole different genre of which I love greatly. Like I'm a massive country music fan and bluegrass, but, uh, going back to these people, 
Um, they're often incorrectly referred to as gypsies. They're not genetically related to Romani at all. And uh, Romani people, as we know, come from northern India. And if you've ever traveled through Europe, you've probably encountered these folks in uh, plazas, piazzas, and so on. Uh, a musical people, um, a very colorful people that are nomadic. Well, over here in, in Anglo-Ireland, there's also a nomadic people. And when I was seeing these horses, I assumed that it was from these folks. But upon my investigation and talking to people, I was really, really tickled by this. Like, so I was watching some bare knuckle boxing stuff the other day, and it was saying that this is the way that uh, Irish travelers have settled disputes for hundreds and hundreds of years. <laughs> you got an issue with somebody, go out to a pasture, and usually you see in these, uh, these bare knuckle uh, matches, I guess you could call them, there's just like a bunch of dudes standing around and they're kind of like, they're not whooping and hollering. It's kind of like a sort of a stoic, solemn kind of affair. And you just hear this like, oof, 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 oof. and these guys are just like pummeling each other and not for nothing. Like I've seen a lot of different kind of scraps in the world. These dudes know how to fight, man. And they're tough as nails. And I was really blown away. Um, so in seeing these horses being led around, I sort of thought at first glance, it was probably something similar to like Central Park in New York, which is, it's a little bit a, a controversial thing because I mean, it serves a great function, I guess, for tourists coming to town, but it's pretty brutal to watch, you know, horses get honked at by yellow taxi cab drivers and trucks and these poor horses are in these the middle of New York City and it's kind of a it's kind of a, like a wincy cringy kind of thing to see I actually if I'm honest I don't love seeing it like I think that we should probably phase that out sooner than later and it's it, 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 it it's a funny thing coming like as a New York person to see tourists come to town and like ride you know sleigh bells and they do it kind of on the holidays and stuff and you just like ah, it's kind of a tourist activity but I think New Yorkers all kind of feel it's a little bit dark because the horses kind of get run into the ground for years and years and years and then they get sold off to glue factories when they die and it's it's kind of brutal so I thought the same thing was going on here and I think it is going on I, I've seen some carriages and so on but I started talking to a, a friend of mine um, and he was explaining, an Irish friend of mine, he was explaining um, that, you know, there's, there's urban Ireland and then there's rural Ireland. And much of rural Ireland, as I covered in um, a film series that I did pretty recently, um, much of rural Ireland actually only got electricity in the 50s. And so if you think about a culture like hearkening back to a different time in rural Ireland, um, you know, there were gas lamps and stuff and uh, people worked the land and so on. And before technological advances in electricity, there were, there were tradesmen and these tradesmen would travel from town to town. And often uh, these Irish travelers who are highly gifted uh, worked as tinsmiths, uh, repairmen, they were salesmen, and they were on the back of horse-drawn uh, buggies or 
called traps, like carriages, and they would sustain themselves going from town to town. And as technology advanced, uh, rural Ireland made advances to join you know, the modern world, and this kind of receded, this, uh, this you know, traveling salesman thing, and it went into the periphery of Irish culture. So I guess I, I immediately thought that it was the Irish travelers, but what it is is it's a tradition of horses in the like Irish traveler communities that would go into um, disadvantaged communities and like disadvantaged communities learned this from Irish travelers. And often Irish, there is such a thing as settled Irish travelers who are no longer traveling. Upon like going through this, I started asking questions about music. Yes, they play Irish traditional music. They, they do it a little bit differently. Their dialect is a little bit different. And people, I thought it was kind of an endearing story that like people uh, like with economic challenges adopted the horse as a kind of like F you uh, to modern life. Like this is a part of our like lineage, right? So you've got people who uh, it's a, a badge of pride. It's uh, an aspect of how they make a living. And these people are just, there's like a, just a point blank refusal to get rid of horses. So it is uh, not uncommon to see people from disadvantaged communities in Ireland using a horse in modern day life, which is like a big middle finger to modernity, which I can actually appreciate in a TikTok world, in a crazy, weird technological ADD, bizarro universe of the interwebs. It's actually kind of beautiful to be, see the defiance and refusal to take an Uber. Why not just take your horse? <laughs> hey, Sparky, let's hit the bars. Uh, anyways, I thought that was, um, I want a, a fascinating and, and kind of really cool way to tie the, the old ways with the new and it's personified and people walking with their horse in the middle of Dublin. So that's that. So here I am and I am on my way to the dentist. I had a total wipeout. I started getting a toothache when I was in Manhattan and I was at my buddy Brendan's house in Soho and we're hanging out and my tooth just started aching, man. My, well, my back, like upper teeth. And I was actually kind of like biting down. It seemed like when I was biting down on it, it would like send blood to the area and it kind of soothed it, kind of didn't. And then I jumped on an airplane to come over to Ireland and it went absolutely ballistic. And I was in terrible, terrible pain. And to the point where I'm on this airplane and I'm like grabbing the tooth with my index finger and my thumb and I'm like wiggling and I'm like, Jesus, like, can I wiggle it to the right or the left to make the pain stop? And it just kept going and going. And I feel really bad for the guy that was sitting next to me because I probably looked like a crackhead trying to pull his own tooth out. Um, but it was painful. So I got here and it's the holidays, pretty much the wrong time to have emergency like dental surgery or dental, dental procedure. But I couldn't find an appointment. So I've like been existing on some pain pills and antibiotics and stuff trying to get to my appointment, which is today. And uh, it, it, it's been 
it's been a long, brutal road. And can we just talk about like the Achilles heel of mankind? Like, why teeth have nerves in them? Like, what? How did we, were we designed so poorly? For what reason does a tooth have a damn nerve in it? Like, absolutely killing me. But I'm about to go see what's going on in uh, <laughs> Irish dental world. Um, so that's kind of my story rope swinging from like jet lag head to pain meds and being completely like, I'm like a walking human watercolor, just smeary, weird thoughts, weird hours. I woke up at 3am today. And, uh, so moving forward, today's big dentist day and I decided to put out to uh, my Onward community, my Patreon community, um, some Q&As if anybody would like me to uh, cover some questions. And I got back some really great responses. So the first one, um, what is the most amazing geographic site you saw on your travels in 2021 and the most underwhelming? Heavens, okay. I would have to say probably the the most beautiful thing that I saw that took me aback was this corridor that exists between Colorado and the great American West all the way out to California. Um, you can go through New Mexico or you could choose not to. But when I went through New Mexico, whatever this like trifecta is between New Mexico, Colorado and Utah is like a thing of majestic beauty. Uh, New Mexico kind of reminds me of how I felt when I heard the Joshua Tree by U2 when I was a kid. Kind of had this desert, like, I mean, it was called the Joshua Tree. Kind of had this desert, like, next to God, touch the sky kind of feeling sonically, like when I heard it when I was a kid, probably I was like 12. And New Mexico has this, like, sweeping, shrubby, sprawling desert and it's like it's a 360 degree kind of feeling um i've been on my motorcycle through there and i've also been in my van and i just if it's not like the landscape that's mind-blowing it's the sunrises it's the sunsets it's the moon it's the constellations and it's like this complete um, sensory situation where it's the smells, it's the stillness, it's the wind in your ear and sleeping out there with like a light desert rain is pretty life-changing. Not to mention when you go into, like I went to Albuquerque recently, uh, made famous, <laughs> uh, globally by Breaking Bad. Um, but you go down to Albuquerque and they've got like kind of old town Albuquerque and literally it looks like ancient like Mexico, you know, I mean, it, it is, uh, but like Adobe houses from the 1600s and stuff that really blew my mind. I think there's a lot of like Adobe Mexican architecture actually in the West that I think even Americans actually don't know about or they forget that it's there, but it's really old. And you start connecting that with sort of the Spanish presence um, in America. And it, it's, it's like pretty compelling stuff. What is the most underwhelming thing? Um, the uh, most underwhelming place that I saw, you know, 
this summer in July, I believe it was, I went across Europe again on my motorcycle and I ended up in the Balkans and I was in Croatia and I cruised down and I didn't go all the way down the coast of Croatia as I have before. I, I think I've been, I think I've been there probably three or four times at this point. Um, but I stopped at a place called Pula, P-U-L-A, and I had been through there before, and there's a massive Roman Colosseum, which is actually pretty epic. But for some reason, on the motorcycle this summer, Croatia didn't, like, grab me like it did before. And I recognize that I didn't get down into, you know, the Adriatic coast and stuff, but I, I was really, like, kind of taken aback like it it seemed a lot more run down than it did before and I was driving around and I actually decided to leave Croatia it was it's a big com commitment to kind of get down into Croatia from I think I was coming from Germany so you go over the I went over the Austrian Alps and which is gorgeous and like very alpine like and you get down in there and I was like Jesus man it was I just felt like there was these long drives the scenery was kind of like, it, it, it's hard to stay awake on a bike, right? And you get kind of like, you get very much like sort of tunnel vision. You're staring forward because you can't really, you know, take your eyes off the road for too long. I just felt like, oh, this is a little sleepy. Um, it reminded me a little bit of a Nebraska, if anybody's ever been through there. Um, but yeah, so I'd say Croatia kind of underwhelmed this time, which... I feel bad for saying that because I have a lot of Croatian friends. Um, okay, moving on to the next question. Bill, what is the state of affairs of live music 2022? And what are you doing and what are your plans for live shows? Man, all right. This latest Omicron, um, is it Omicron? It's like... It sounds like one of the planets that like Superman came from or something like this is getting weird and it's definitely feeling like we're in like a Dean Koontz novel or some like futuristic, ah, uh, the Omicron variant of the COVID-19 virus. Um, to, to answer your question, um, where is live music going to land in 2022? It's so interesting. I have a very mobile um, nomadic lifestyle in my own right. Um, and it's because of, uh, expression, right? Like I, I tour and I perform to be honest. I haven't played a show in a couple of months. I don't know when I'm going to play a show and I don't know anyone that knows when they're going to play a show. It seemed like, um, it seemed like Britain was kind of picking up. And, uh, like Germany, like in the summer, it felt like people were doing shows again. And I just stopped by in Dublin, a venue that, uh, Augustine's headlined in, we sold it out. It's called Vicar street. It's a very famous venue. And I popped in there just because I wanted to see the place, you know, like when you roll into a place and you're playing it, it's kind of like a one day affair, maybe two. And I popped in there and I, I met with like, I, I don't know if he was like the stage manager or the owner, but this guy was like so 
saddened. You know, there's new curfews or there's new, um, they're not curfews. It's, I think places have to close at eight here in Ireland right now. And that's new. And I think Britain is in some, they're facing tough times as well. And I know that Germany um, has been going through it, the Netherlands, and I think France is locked down again. So it's tricky with this stuff because I don't think you can just speak for live music because it it's in a different state kind of literally every region you go in the world. I was just in California and I was talking to... Um, one of my family members and he was saying like, God, I'm so over it. Like this enough already with this. And it's like, but I think that the, that region just really hasn't been hit hard because I was just talking to a friend of mine, Lisa, who has now had COVID twice while vaccinated for the second time in 90 days. And I just spoke to her again today and now her daughter has it twice this is the second time that she, her, her child's had it during Christmas. And it's like, this thing just isn't letting up. I went and saw some music last night. Um, one of my favorite pubs in the whole world called The Cobblestone and here in Dublin. I just went and saw some Irish trad music, like an Ellen Pipe player and uh, a couple fiddlers. And it was great, but you definitely have to show, you know, your vaccination um, papers before you, so, so you can hang out there and it's like, it's serious and it's a weird thing. It's like, I, you know, this stuff is, it plays on our paranoia and our fears. And it's like, how much do you feed the beast? Like how much, you know, do you poke a bear in the zoo? Um, the guy at Vicar street was saying, you know, it's a, it's a, over a thousand cap venue, but now it's like, pretty much it's a seated 500 cap venue and it really you know coming as a road like like as a touring guy looking at the situation it's hard to hear that because those bigger venues like a vicar street those those shows those thousand plus capacity shows for a band those shows pay for the smaller shows um, maybe like in a Brighton, England, or a Portland, Oregon, or a, a, a Cork, Ireland. Um, they allow the bigger shows kind of pay for the smaller set, like kind of windfalls, right? Like you're rolling into a, into a town with a bus, and that's there's a lot of overhead with that. You've got a crew. And I was just thinking, man, this has got to be tripping up so many touring acts. Because if you're big... If you're the biggest city in Ireland is Dublin and you're going there to play the biggest venue there, which allows you to play the smaller venues and it's cut in half, that's tough, man. And I don't have an answer for you to the uh, wonderful person who sent me that question. Where do I stand in all of it? I'll tell you, man. I, I felt like I, we were coming, not out of it, but we were coming back to a place where congregating and stuff was going to start being okay. I was just in New York City last week. Seems like people are congregating fine. But then I turn on the radio, again, feeding the beast a little bit, trying to get some info. And it's talking about New York City and New York State 
is now going to be the hardest hit place yet again in the United States. And that this latest variant uh, might be, might do the most damage that we've seen yet. Womp, womp, womp. I don't know. The, maybe it's time to pull out a bottle of whiskey and get the Zoom shows going again. I don't know. If I'm honest, like when you kind of digest the scope of it, it's, it's pretty hard. And if anybody's listening that's a musician, just like know I'm sending you a big bear hug because I don't think anyone has the answers right now about live music. Um, but I'd also say this as a challenge to musicians, like how creative are you? Like, are you going to sit there and wait for the world to come back to normal until you go out and play a show? You can do one online. You could write music. You could design your album art. You could do a quick EP. Um, you could collaborate online with somebody as lame as that is. Um, and you could imbibe, uh, large amounts of alcohol and play an online show for other people so they can have a drink and hang out. Um, it's, it ain't easy out there guys. Like, um, I'm personally, I'm staying mobile, uh, through my production van and driving around and telling stories. And I'm always trying to start with music and work backwards into the cultures that play them and what turns me on about it. And, you know, like this summer kind of blew my mind. I was driving through Nebraska and, you know, during a pandemic, I put in Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska just to see if it would hold up. And it did. So like there, there is, um, music to be mined and there's, there's art and expression to be, um, I don't know, as a kind of a, a salve, like to maybe soothe this a little bit, but man, this is going to go on for a bit. Um, okay, next question. Um, Bill, when is EP number four going to drop? So, okay, thank you for asking that. What happened basically is I recorded an album, Wild Eyes, and I broke it up into four EPs. And what the reason that I did that is because I wanted to make videos, show the making of, um, I wanted to kind of because the of the lockdown, I wanted to like spread it out. And it really worked beautifully. I got to direct my own videos. I got to film. And it was really exciting to have anticipation for uh, another, another EP coming out. And on the fourth one, basically, the short story is I went through a breakup. And I had to pack it up and go move out and move on and... I started doing that and I packed up a lot of my, my, I mean, I had a studio, I had a, a functioning multimedia kind of art music studio and I packed it all up and I just thought, you know, I'll circle back around on this. So maybe that's something that I could focus on is the last installment of the Wild Eyes album. I should get that out. The very last thing that I did do in New York was a song about the pandemic and, uh, Maybe it's time that I got that out. It's, it's, it's it looks like we're, this is, this is going to be a bit of a marathon. Um, so the production van has been wonderful. And the fact that 
I'm more and more steering it, like I'm doing it, it's a solar van, and I'm steering the solar energy towards actually like proper recording. And I started out with my laptop, and I found out that there is a way for me to channel enough electricity through this thing to actually get my studio computer, my desktop operating. So I will be able to actually record like a recording studio because I have all the mics and all that stuff. So that's kind of my goal when the holidays are over is to get back and start recording again. And frankly, that was the vision for the entire van to answer your question. Um, and that's kind of what the holdup's been. So as we go forward, I just want to say, um, you probably won't hear a podcast from me till after Christmas, but I want to say Merry Christmas or as the Brits say happy Christmas. Um, I hope, I know it's weird. I know the people are in varying degrees of concern about everything. You know, maybe that's what eggnog and that's what, what having some nice drinks and just do the best you can. Um, I'm finding something that's been helping me out when I get overwhelmed and I've been feeling down or kind of overwhelmed by all this. I try this, man. Just go to bed early. Like, just get them next time, champ. Like, fold up the, you know, hang up the skates for the night, go to bed early, wake up in the morning and take another crack at it. Um, that's kind of all we can do right now. And this ain't going to last forever. It's just kind of got to play out. And I will say one thing. If anybody wants to see something kind of wild, go online and check out uh, check out pictures of the uh, influenza pandemic and the Spanish flu and check out like how similar folks look to us right now. Like there they are in 1918 or whatever it is, all wearing masks in places like Boston or San Francisco or Los Angeles. Like people, we've been through this before, whether it was this or polio, or whatever. We just got to get through it and, you know, maybe take, take some comfort in the fact that we're going through something like as a human race together, I think our great grandchildren will hear about this. Um, we've seen a lot of people become entrepreneurial or um, really creative, like working from home, different ways to run their business. I think businesses are realizing, like, wait a second, maybe we were going about this all wrong. Um, people have been diversifying and trying to consolidate um, what they do and make it work from their homes. That's kind of a big plus. People are getting creative. Um, I've seen, I just saw a documentary. Anybody see the Britney Spears documentary? You know, the director is literally on like Skype calls in the documentary. I don't know if anybody like flagged that. Like that's new, a com completely legitimate uh, documentary with Skype through half of it. Like they were doing, they were conducting interviews in a modern documentary. Um, and this is just where we're at. Um, okay. Music picks and film picks. I'm going to have to say, um, Hmm. I'll be honest. I was listening to Frank Sinatra yesterday. That dude's amazing. Um, last week, or last podcast, I was talking about Roy Orbison. I was listening to Frank Sinatra. The guy's ridiculous. And I would say my film pick for this podcast, I would say the 1975 
documentary, one of the greatest documentaries of all time. If you have not seen it, do yourself a favor and check out Grey Gardens. I've written stories about it, and I just saw it again, and it literally is about Jackie O, um, Jackie Onassis, the, the uh, former first lady. She has she had a relative that lived in the Hamptons, and this woman was a Bouvier, and she was married to a very successful uh, businessman, and they were divorced, and he gave her this basically a mansion in the Hamptons in New York as a settlement for their, uh, for their divorce. And the woman moved into it, but back then in the twenties and thirties, like women didn't have careers all the time, right? Like it was rare. So this woman was sort of cut off from this fortune and she gets like this mansion and she moves into it with her daughter and the money dries up. And what you find is by 1975, when they make this documentary, that these two women have been living in this mansion literally for decades. And that not only well, like was the house in disrepair, like overrun with like raccoons and feral cats, but these women <laughs> defiantly refused to move out of this house. And not only were they like a throwback to a completely different era because like women, women's rights, and that those movements had happened, they had largely gone by unnoticed by these two women because they became hermits and living in this mansion. And what's crazy in, like, is their dialects are from another era in American history. They kind of sound like Kennedys. They kind of have a New York, like New York thing going on, but it's like a different old-timey accent that does not exist any longer, and I highly recommend checking out Grey Gardens if you haven't already. Okay, guys, this is the holidays. Keep your chins up. If you're creative, keep strumming, keep going. It's, it's going to be a while, but we're going to get through it. A big hug to you, and thank you. You've been listening to Onward with William McCarthy, live from Dublin, Ireland.